a bunch of crazy dogs, that's some fun. Gentlemen, what is up? Coming to you from the Cosa Nostra studios, I'm Matty Buller, and thank you for tuning in to Almost Wise Guys, Episode 9. This is our look at the upcoming Week 9 games across the NFL, and this episode is everything you ever wanted in a podcast, including our regular weekly picks, a visit from the commish, and of course, Donald Trump's going to be by with his POTUS picks. But first, with me as always from Almost Wise Guys Central is Andy, the prognosticator Atridge. Hey, Maddie, how's it going? Great, buddy. How are you? Not bad. Um, let's talk about last week. Uh, it was it was interesting um, in a lot of facets. One of them being that none of the matchups uh, of of all the games that played, none of them featured two teams with winning records. I don't know what that says about the league, but that's kind of odd that point in the season. Um, that being said, the Thursday night game, uh, which we've said over and over, is not a good product. Garbage. It increases the risk of injury. The coaches don't have enough time to properly prepare, and it messes up office pools and fantasy leagues. Well, what happened? One of the highest paid players in the league left the game in concussion protocol. Miami failed to score any points, and we were left watching Ryan Mallett duking it out against Matt Moore. Yay. Boo. Boo. But don't just listen to me or Maddie. Uh, here's what Mark Lazarus, the chairman of NBC Broadcasting and Sports, said last week to the Sports Business Journal about too many games. Let me get this right here. I do believe that there is a lot of football on, and by the time you get to Sunday, there could be a fatigue. Then on Wednesday of last week's, Fox CEO James Murdoch said, you are asking a lot from customers to watch games in every time slot in the NFL. I'm only being this critical because I really want the league to do well, but you sort of you sort of get the feeling that they've recently become complacent and they seem to be taking a very loyal fan base for granted. They believe that anytime there's something televised with the shield slapped on it, the people are automatically going to tune in. And for the most part, that has been true. I'm guilty of it myself. I think the reason why the league became so successful to begin with over the past few decades is that all the games, you know, with the exception of Monday Night Football, were concentrated into a six-hour window. And it even used to be that the Sunday Night game had two teams with really no expectations of making the postseason. And I have no problem with having Saturday games uh, when the college season's over. But right now, this is getting to be a little bit too much. And I think the entertainment value is being diluted. So back to our picks from last week. Uh, we started out really well. Woody, my dog, is now 4-1 and one against the spread in his last five with his Baltimore prediction. We had picked the Vikings for the really early Sunday game in England. Uh, we did quite well in the other early games, being on the right side of four of them. But the late afternoon game in Washington, the Sunday night game in Detroit, fucking the Lions. Monday, yeah, the touchdownless Lions, yeah, and the Monday night game in Kansas City. Well, we we were we were. Look, I know what I told you to do, but when I told you to do that, I was rude. <laughs> Ralph. I was I was not exactly right. What do you mean not right? I mean not right. I don't get you. You mean you were wrong? All in all, we were exactly 500 against the spread. If you include Woody's pick, we were seven and six overall. Woody's money, this, buddy. Woody, Woody is money. Woody, I, I'm, I'm getting to the point where I'm going to get him to do all my picks, but we're running out of food in the house. You got to teach uh, that dog to shit you a solid gold <laughs> egg, and you would have a real winner right there. He is good. I think Aesop had a fable about him. <laughs> um, this week demonstrated, I think, if you look at all the games, just you could say this about any week, but this week was a game of inches and a game of luck. I mean, 
I thought the Chargers would totally cover in Foxborough at seven and a half, and they lost by eight. And I thought the Saints would easily cover the number, which was down to seven and a half by game time, and they won by eight. The Jets, whom we picked to cover, lost by five. That opening line was four and a half, but it went up to six by game time. We picked the Colts to cover as road dogs, and they did. We made the same call with the Raiders, and they didn't. Anyway, we're going to go into this a little bit in more depth later in the show. So let's begin with the news of the week. Congratulations to the Houston Astros, who won their first World Series championship in franchise history. What an exciting series. I mean, Game 7, they're playing their hearts out. And honestly, with everything that's happened recently in the city of Houston, their fans certainly can use something to cheer about, so good for them. And on an interesting note about that, I just literally read this a half hour before the podcast, but the Astros were saying three years ago that it was going to take them three years to build up and get to a World Series and possibly win a World Series. And at the beginning of the season, I think it was June, actually, uh, a Sports Illustrated cover said the Houston the 2014 Houston Astros, the 2017 World Series champs. Yeah, I saw that, that with Springer in the cover, and um, I think the season before they had lost 110 games. I mean, what a bold prediction. That's yeah. prognostication. That is, that is prognostication. And uh, Jay Ajay is now an eagle. I suppose the writing was on the wall after last week's game when Adam Gase, a renowned players coach, said, we've got to stop trying to hit home runs all the time, Gase said. It's on the running back. Do your job. It's not hard to do, end quote. Ajay is probably over the moon with this as he goes to a contender and leaves the clusterfuck that is the Miami Dolphins. It's like the old saying goes, it's hard to soar like an eagle when you're running with the turkeys, or in this case, swimming with the dolphins. Also, Gase should really watch his mouth when it comes to running smack about any of his players. It's not like he's been the best coach during his tenure. He didn't even know that his old line coach was all heft up on Bolivian marching powder until the video surfaced online. Coach him up, Batam. Cocaine's a hell of a drug. <laughs> All right, Maddie. Jimmy Garoppolo is now a San Francisco 49er. The Niners. Let me say that again. Jimmy Garoppolo is now a San Francisco 49er. The former Eastern Illinois Panther was traded from the Patriots as the confident backup for quarterback Tom Brady and is now in the Bay Area. The Niners gave up a second-round pick for him next year but for salary of just under 900 gur this season kind of seems like a no-brainer for san francisco the situation in new england sort of reminded me of one in san francisco back in the late 80s where steve young was the highest paid backup quarterback in the league at 1.1 million dollars but he just wanted to play those were the days where guys like joe montana didn't talk about playing late into his 40s so it was simply a waited out scenario for young and the other thing I want to talk about this trade, I, I, I think the Patriots got the raw end of the deal because I think they probably could have got more than a second-round pick. Yes. The Browns glaringly need a quarterback, and you know that they were in those conversations, and they historically are willing to give up a lot more than that for a lot less. But Bill Belichick, 1995, gets fired by the Cleveland Browns. Hmm. Do you think the hoodie ever forgets? So this is a little bit of a <laughs> to Cleveland, and uh, yeah, let's see how it uh, let's see how it plays out. Now it's actually kind of like a well, call it a wife swap, but not a wife swap. It's a quarterback <laughs> swap because uh, Hoyer is now a New England Patriot that they picked off waivers. <laughs> so um, very interesting thing. I'm excited as a 49er fan. I think it's great. Now, on to some grim news, and this is breaking as of when we are doing this podcast, which is the Thursday night. And uh, Deshaun Watson, in practice today, uh, tore an ACL. And this is a team that's already devastated with it. I'm not a Houston fan by any means, but I never, ever wish injury on a player. I always joke about Packers and Aaron Rodgers and stuff like that. But for real, I would never wish uh, a player to be injured, and especially one as talented uh, and and somebody that's so young as Deshaun Watson, um, what do you think and this to, does to with do Houston? An, 
Like, what do you what do you think about this with with Houston for the rest of the year? Well, you're right. It absolutely is sad, especially in the fact that it was, you know, it was a practice. It wasn't even during a game, probably avoidable. But uh, these things happen. It's it's just it's realistic football. for the NFL. It's football. And yeah, he was an exciting player. He was like a glimmering hope for new quarterbacks because there is a very conspicuous absence of good new quarterbacks. Carson Wentz, maybe aside. Um, yeah, it's devastating. Um it's, yeah, and, and and if you look at their defense, as you as you mentioned, with JJ Watt out, with Merciless out, with Cushing out, it's just like it's decimated their team. But the game's going to be played on Sunday, and as callous as it sounds, um, there's still going to be a line on it. So let's talk about that. Um, before the injury happened, I think the line was at thirteen or thirteen and a halves in some places. I was actually on Indy at that number. It was a big number. But now what you're going to see and in a we still, it's still off the board. I don't know when they're going to actually put a lineup. But what I think is going to happen, um, people are going to look at it and say, oh, Tom Savage is taking over. Oh. And I think it's there's going to be an overreaction, an overcorrection uh, to what exactly is the scenario. Bill O'Brien always liked Tom Savage. In fact, that's why he got rid of Brock Osweiler. And I think they're still going to fare all right. We still got great wideouts yeah. with Fuller and, and Hopkins. Um, so you think it's going to swing too far the other way, and you figure the sharp money on well, early well, Sunday morning is going to be going to Houston still? I think you're going to have a small window of opportunity to take advantage of a misaligned number. Uh, I don't know what it's going to go down to, but I, I would expect it's going to be below a touchdown. And I think for a, for a small time, that, that's probably a good number to take if you're a, a Houston backer because it's probably going to bounce back up uh, to over a touchdown because I saw a lot of sharp guys talking about just Indy in general while Deshaun Watson was healthy. So, it's yeah, it's, the line's going to bounce around like a ping pong ball, but uh, if you're paying close attention to it and you like Houston, uh, take it as soon as it comes back on the board because it's only going to go up from there. Now, Marshawn Lynch was practicing at his alma mater. That's Oakland Technical High School. Well, that is one way to pad your stats on a week of suspension. Like, can you imagine? Perhaps he finished English class. <laughs> Apparently, though, he was seen taking a leak beside a tree next to the playing field. When called out about it, he showed both respect and fear of the on-duty hall monitor. I'm here so I won't get fined. But for real, though, who gets mad at a guy for taking a piss outdoors? We're guys. The world is our urinal. And for the record, I love Marshawn Lynch. He's a great bunch of guys. And lastly, it is Breeders' Cup weekend. And the horses are running at Del Mar. Maddie, do you have any good selections? Duh, ponies. <laughs> Unfortunately, though, I don't. Uh, when it comes to horse racing, I have to be really honest with you guys. I'm a complete dummy. Uh, I enjoy going to the track, though. I, I actually do. I enjoy laying down some money, but it's blind luck for me, usually going by names, or I like the way the somebody gave me a pick on a horse or a, a good jockey or something like that. Well, I'm not a huge horse racing guy either, uh, but I do know that Gunrunner has won five of his last six starts, the only loss coming to that of Arrowgate in Dubai. It's not a terribly bold prediction at 2-1, to one, but I like Arrogate to narrowly beat out Gunrunner. Now, if you just want to have a little bit of fun and go with a horse with longer odds, consider Churchill, the Irish thoroughbred, who had won five of six races in 2016. Provided the trip across the pond doesn't affect this three-year-old, it could be a good pick at 16-1. to one. Now, before we get to our weekly picks... I want to let our listeners in on a little something about Maddie. He'll be turning 40 this week. Now, Maddie isn't one to toot his own horn, but most guys when they turn 40 usually have a big party out at a bar, invite a bunch of friends, and proceed to have way too much to eat and drink. Not Maddie. Exactly four days after his 40th birthday, Maddie will be competing in his first official boxing match and doing so against a 26-year-old. Maddie has been arduously training for about a year now and believes that he is up for the task. 
I checked at the Red Rock Sportsbook, and there currently is no lineup for this one yet. I'm not entirely sure why this is off the board, but it could have something to do with the fact that the AARP is protesting the league for allowing this match to even happen. Totally kidding, Maddie. On behalf of myself and our listeners, we wish you good luck. Thanks, buddy. I'm uh, pretty excited to put all my training to the test, and now, you know, ahead of the fight, here's my mentor and everyone's favorite retired boxer, the contender, discussing his time as a hockey goon in the Iron Leagues. The contender here. My pops was the former heavyweight champ, and I trained hard at the foot of the master. I never won a belt because my career was short-lived when I discovered my real passion. Being a goon for a hockey team. Just like my dad, I've taken a few too many hits to the head, and I've got a tendency to lose it on people over some simple misunderstandings. So I retired, though, after a good run in the Iron League, but I miss putting on the foil. So Mrs. Contender and I joined a mixed rec hockey league for some fun. My wife was putting on a clinic between the pipes during last week's game when some hotshot flies down the wing, rifles a shot so hard it split the webbing of her glove, and went in the net. The hotshot then skates by my bench, says, Hey, contender, how'd you like that? I split your wife's trapper wide open. I says, Pardon? He skated back over and says, Hey, contender, I split your wife's trapper wide open. How'd you like that? Well, I lose it. Forget about the bench minor. I'm going for the whole match penalty. I hopped off the bench, gave this Yari Curry wannabe a left-right combo with my foil-covered fists of fury. I've got a combo so tight I can punch a quarter, get two dimes and a nickel change. Then, I turned him into a pretzel while lifting the jersey over his head and made his face look like a pile of hamburger helper. Before the linesmen were able to pull us apart, I gave him the old face wash and said, Hey, hotshot, is that I split your wife's trapper wide open enough for you? And ever since then, they call me the contender. Now let's fire it up with our weekly picks. All right, the Thursday game between Buffalo and the Jets had the Jets uh, at the closing line of plus three. My dog Woody has already made his pick. Uh, we didn't exactly give him a big apple, but he surely was in a New York state of mind. When I'm taking a greyhound on the Hudson River line, I'm in a New York state of mind. All right, moving along to the next game, there is the Cincinnati Bengals at Jacksonville. Jacksonville are now five-and-a-half-point favorites, the total being 39. As far as we know, Leonard Fournette looks like he is back in the lineup for the Saxonville Jaguars. This will take a lot of pressure up Blake Bortles, who really isn't equipped to have two consecutive 300-yard passing games. Cincinnati looked horrible against the Colts. I bet the Jags' defense alone could probably score more points than the Bungles. I'm surprised this line is staying as low as it is. I think it started at three, but I could see some money coming in late on this one, possibly driving it closer to a touchdown by game time. If you like Jacksonville as much as I do, bet this one early, as we have already seen a big line movement through no man's land. I really can't figure out how Marvin Lewis keeps his gig. Like his team has never made it out of the first round of the playoffs, and they routinely underperform year after year. Uh, somehow, the guy though he's got the job security of a government employee. That's nice work, I guess, if you can get it. I think this line is a gift, as the Jags are going to pour it on against the struggling Bungles. Struggling. Take the Jags with the points. How about Atlanta at Carolina? Carolina is uh, very slim favorites at home, only minus one. Well, I'm a little unclear on this one. It opened at one and a half. Then the Panthers then trade their top wide receiver, Calvin Benjamin, to Buffalo. The line moves to minus two and a half for Carolina. 
And I know Kelvin Benjamin came into training camp about 40 pounds overweight, which really isn't what you want of a first-round draft pick. But come on. Diabetes. He certainly had an important role to fill in Carolina with a total absence of a running game. But this line has bounced around. Now it's back down to one. I think this line should be at least a field goal because Atlanta can't stop anyone. And under Steve Sarkeesian, they're having a tough time even locating the end zone. I'm picking the Panthers. Yeah, didn't these guys used to be like Super Bowl caliber teams? How the mighty have fallen. This game is now a battle of the has-beens and probably never will be for a while anyway. However, I'm going to give the Panthers the edge like you. I think they're going to win at home by at least a field goal. All right, the next game is also in the Big Apple featuring the L.A. Rams against the New York Giants. The Giants, Giants stink. Are, the Giants stink, uh, which is probably why they're three-and-a-half-point underdogs at all. Yeah. Very low total of 41-and-a-half. Should be 15-point underdogs as far as I'm concerned. They stink. I would, I would think so. What's unique about this one is that both teams are coming off a bye. The Rams have won games in four different time zones including Greenwich Mean Time. McVay has this team ticking on all cylinders. They're playing well on all sides of the ball, which really isn't that much of a surprise, considering they have John Fassel looking after their special teams, Wade Phillips coordinating their defense, and McVay himself calling the offensive plays. It's an all-star cast. It would seem to be uh, on the sidelines with guys holding clipboards. The Giants, on the other hand, have simply looked dreadful this year. They stink. Their entire receiving core has been decimated with injuries. Odell Beckham Jr., come on. He's out. Hopefully this week kind of mended some of those wounds. Here's an interesting stat, Maddie. The Giants are 0 for 7 against the spread in their last seven at home against West Coast teams. Hmm. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to bet against the home team playing near Greenwich Village and backing the surging Rams. Yeah, like the spread's only three and a half? That's a gift. Jump on it. I've been selling the G-Men all year, and there's no way I'm about to start buying them now. They are terrible, and the receiving core decimated by injury. Manning looks like he's at the end of his playing days, and, you know, rightfully so. The guy's had a great career, but still, he's at the end. He's not doing so well. On the other hand, the Rams look great. Their defense leading the way. A rookie QB who's making the future look very bright for this club, man. You got to wear shades. Jared's, Jared Goff's good. Jared Goff's good. Oh, he's good. And girl, is good as well, man. So uh, even though they're crossing the country to play in New York, they're still by far a better team. I agree with you, buddy. Take the Rams to cover. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's a good pick. Denver at Philly. Philly's on fire, and they're favored by eight points even. All right, hang on. Nice. The beers. The beers. Beer. So you got two teams that like to play physical football, and I love that. The Eagles, who are already looking good, just got even better with the addition of Jay Ajayi, provided that he keeps his yap shut in the dressing room and not that he needs it, but this will take some pressure off Carson Wentz. Their defensive line, I think is the best in the league right now. And Denver looked like they needed to be put out to pasture by the way they played in the last three weeks. Their defense is still playing well, but they can't score on offense. The receivers can't catch. And Simeon looked dazed and confused throwing three passes to the wrong team on Monday night. It's hard to set a line over a touchdown against a team that won the Super Bowl less than two years ago. But exit Trevor Simeon and her Brock Osweiler.
He's pretty well liked in the dressing room amongst the other players. Probably at this point an upgrade from Simeon. Now, their only loss this year was against KC. And what had happened in that game was Kansas City ran the ball really well. The Broncos know how to do that. And if you look at the game the Broncos had against Kansas City, they allowed 29 points. But that was with five turnovers. That's not likely to happen again. As long as this one stays above a touchdown, I like Denver to play old school football. Great defense, grind the ball out on the ground. And I think I think Philly's just going to simply run out of time before they can score enough points to cover this line. I'm taking the Broncos. That's a bold pick, buddy, because Denver, I don't know, their defense just doesn't, like when you were bringing up the Super Bowl earlier, what I remember about their Super Bowl team was a dominating defense because as a Bears fan, that's what I love about other teams that I like that aren't my Bears. And I remember liking that Broncos team because they were playing some bruising D. And that defense is a shell of its former self. Well, last I checked, Von Miller's still there. Yeah? And, uh, what's Von Miller done lately? Well, what's he going to do this week? I, I, they, they're going to need a bounce-back <laughs> yeah, no, say. <laughs> well, they're going to need a bounce-back game if they want to stay competitive in that division. I mean, they're going to need, just for a level of respectability, they're on a three-game losing skid. But they're going across. That's you know, not going to sit well with John Elway. But they're going across the country Well, it's not going to well. sit well with John Elway. Yeah, but they're going. Mm, John yeah. Elway's warm and cozy up in that box. They got to go play in cold, rainy Philadelphia all oh, the way on. across it's, the country. It's the warm city of brotherly love. Oh yeah, Philly fans are known for showing their love, aren't they? Well, that's why they have a judge if you on call staff. getting hit by beer cans love. Well, they, I don't know if you at least this, pour the beer on me. I think they're the only stadium in the entire league that actually has a judge on duty on Sundays. Um, just to process people to get arrested during the games. Yeah, I think somebody needs to call Judge Wapner. That's it. Oh boy. That's it. You blew it. You don't get to see your program. It's finished. One minute to Wapner. One minute to Wapner. One minute to Wapner. One minute to Wapner. I had you in there, Ray. You were in there. You had it all. They are in there making legal history, Ray. Legal history. Oh, boy. What is going on out here? I'm sorry, ma'am. I like it. I'm very sorry about that. That man right there is my brother. And if he doesn't get to watch people's court in about 30 seconds, he's going to throw a fit right here in your porch. Now, you can help me, or you can stand there and watch it happen. We pick all the games because we pick all the games. People have office pools to deal with, but if you don't need to bet on a game, don't start with this one. Trust me. <laughs> All right. The next game has Cleveland as six and a half point underdogs. They're at home this week and they are playing. Hang on. Oh, they're playing no one. They're on their bye week. So, Maddie, it's six and a half point underdogs. Who do you like? <laughs> I'll lay the points with the bye. I'm with you on that one. It is signed. It's a signed document. I guess if you have a signed document in your possession, you can't go wrong. This year, I'm really going to kick that football. Now, here's a story that totally encapsulates the entire Browns organization. They obviously realize that they don't have a proper starting quarterback. Ergo, they go to the Bengals and agree to a trade for A.J. McCarron, who, if you remember, played in Alabama. and was one of only seven college quarterbacks in history to win back-to-back national championships. Ironically, since he agrees. Then what happens? The Browns fail to file the necessary paperwork before the deadline. They have a guy on staff named Paul D. Podesta, who's an ex-baseball guy, who went to Harvard. His title for the Browns is Chief Strategy Officer. Someone should be testing the water in Cleveland. Yeah, Paul D. Podesta couldn't spell cat if you spotted him the C and the A.
All right, now we go to the home of the Texas School Book Depository. What a cheerful place. It's Kansas City at Dallas. Dallas is actually one-point favorites at home, but they expect it to be a shootout. 51.5 points is the over-under. Well, it's another Zeke's in. No, he's not weak. I think this time they are going to bite the bullet and just take the suspension. So he's back in time for the playoffs. So he's not playing. That decision moved the line from one to one and a half point favorites to one point dogs at home, which seemed about right because we saw a similar line movement in week one in the same situation. But now the line's back to minus one for Dallas. I personally think that he is worth more than a couple points. Alfred Morris is fine, but he can't replace the carries, the yards, or the touchdowns that Zeke can produce. Kansas City had a pretty good divisional game against the Broncos, and they're 9-1 and against the spread in their last 10 on the road. Dallas, without Zeke, not this week, two weeks. They're up a creek. I'll take the Chiefs, so to speak, to end this Cowboys winning streak. Dude, this is a game of the week candidate. Casey is hot, playing incredible football on both sides of the ball. Dallas is no chump at home either, that being said. The Chiefs are on a mission this year. We're on a mission from God. I agree with Andy. The Road Dogs devour the Cowboys this week. Please hang up and try again. Arizona at your San Francisco 49ers. The Niners are two and a half point dogs. Well, I've been on San Francisco's side in most games this year, and not because they're my team, but because they've been playing hard. And with the exception of the last two weeks, have been an against-the-spread covering machine. We probably won't see Garoppolo playing this week, but his mere presence on the sideline has offered hope to fans and the players and the coaching staff. I think it's going to give them an emotional pickup. And if they want to put up a notch in the W column, this week is their best opportunity to do so. With Carson Palmer out and no viable replacement for David Johnson, the only thing that the Arizona Cardinals are going to finish first in this year is alphabetical order. Now, seriously, the only teams that they've beaten this year are the Bucks, the 49ers, and the Colts. And by a very unimpressive combined 11 points. The 49ers are 9-2 against the spread in their last 11 divisional games. I'm picking the San Francisco 49ers. But, dude, your team couldn't even come close to covering a 13-and-a-half-point spread last week and have lost my confidence till I see Garoppolo under center and they learn how to play defense. And as you can tell, that's probably sour grapes because I lost money betting on them covering that 13-and-a-half-point spread last week. I'm taking the cards on the road out of spite. <laughs> hey, good for you. I'm really proud of you, Matty. Washington Redskins, go fuck yourself. Sure, we'd be happy to take your money. Yep, just go to our Kickstarter page. Okay, nice idiot. Uh-huh, fuck you. Bye-bye. So we've got the professional football team from Washington at Seattle. Seattle being minus seven right now, a 45-point total on the board. Last week's game against the Texans was really one of the better ones of the season this year, even if you like defense. And speaking of which, where the hell was Seattle's defense? That's a lot of points to allow. I know where Houston's defense was, and that was mostly on the injured reserve list. This is usually the time of year where the Seahawks start getting their game together on both sides of the ball. I still don't fully trust their D, even with the Legion of Boom. And by the way, uh, it's pretty certain that Earl Thomas is not going to be playing this week. That being said, I really, I, honestly, I mean this. I felt sorry for Washington and Kirk Cousins against Philly last week. They went into the game down three of five offensive linemen to injury and then continued to lose more guys in those positions during the game. Right now, they probably have the worst offensive line in the league, which means that we will be watching the two worst offensive lines in the league. I do like the 12th man to create some confusion for these new Washington linemen. I'm going to take Seattle at home. Somehow seven points feels a little too big, 
But, you know, the Washington Redskins are a hurting bunch right now. And the Shithawks, they got the home advantage. I don't want to really bet against them in that position. They really do have the 12th man. I'm taking Seattle, but with trepidation. Sunday night, Oakland Raiders at Miami. Miami are three-point dogs. What say you, Mr. Prognosticator? Well, I mean, if this was August and you're looking ahead, this kind of looked like a pretty good matchup. Both teams would have realistic playoffs hopes. What do you say about a team that lost to the Ravens 40 to nothing? I'll tell you what I say. Bounce back time, baby. Oh, yeah. That was just a really bad spot for them last Thursday night. Now they're coming off extra rest, which for teams doing so this year are 18, 9, and 1 against the spread. Unfortunately, Jay Cutler's back in the lineup. But cancerous Jay Ajayi is out of their locker room. Devontae Parker is going to start at wide receiver for the first time in almost a month. As far as I'm concerned, the Raiders shouldn't be a road favorite anywhere, perhaps with the exception of the state of Ohio. They actually traveled directly from Buffalo last week to Miami instead of going back to California. It's really a good thing there are no distractions in South Florida for these guys. The Dolphins have beaten the Raiders seven of the last eight games in Miami, and I'm really liking the points at home. I'm picking the Finns. You know, though, Cutler's usually good for at least one pick. One pick six, that is. But uh, (laughs) I think you're spot on with your view of the Raiders on the road this year. Um, Now, this is going to be a bold prediction, but as a Bears fan, I know a good defense can overcome a pick six, and a few Bears defense had to overcome many of Jay Cutler's pick sixes. I think the Dolphins overcome one of Cutler's pick sixes and uh, cover his home dogs. Well, if there's a prop bet up there, uh, that's a good one to look at. Cutler for a pick six. Wow. I, actually, that'd probably be about even odds right now. All right, Monday night. All of Andy's rowdy friends are coming over to watch Detroit at Green Bay. The Pack are favored at two and a half. Pardon me. The Pack are two and a half point underdogs. Yes, they are. They are indeed. Without Aaron Rodgers, they're going to be underdogs probably for the rest of the season. But for anyone that follows the NFC Norris division, this stat probably isn't going to be a surprise to learn that in the last 25 games at Lambeau against the Lions, the Packers are 24-1 and straight up. Now, mind you, none of those games featured Brett Hundley, but I've heard reports this week that Aaron Rodgers was going through game tape of the Lions with him, and they were doing a lot of extra work, and he's really coming into his own. So coming off the bye week with that extra few days to prepare, I think Mike McCarthy is going to incorporate some quote-unquote wrinkles into their offensive game plan. So look for some some weird stuff to happen. Detroit couldn't even score a touchdown against the Raiders. In fact, it was uh, the most third most yards ever recorded by a team that never scored a touchdown last week in NFL history. I thought Green Bay would have rallied a bit more at home against that Saints game a couple weeks ago, but the Saints are looking good now, and Detroit is really inconsistent. This one's going to come down to the red zone. And let's talk about that a little bit further. The Detroit Lions are 27th in the league in touchdown efficiency in the red zone at 45%. Maddie, do you know who has the best? Philly? Nope. Uh, Houston? Nope. It is the Green Bay Packers at 73.9. And I'm well aware of the fact that Aaron Rodgers has most to do with that statistic. But at this spot at home, I'm loving the cheeseheads and I'm picking the Packers. I just have one bone to pick with you about a stat there, brother, that 24-1 and one straight up at Lambeau against the Lions. 
That was against a bunch of suck Lions teams, and their quarterbacks were Brett Favre <laughs> and Aaron Rodgers, neither yeah. of whom are showing up in a Packer uniform this week. What the hell is Brett Favre doing here? I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. However, I have to uh, caveat emptor to our listeners. Uh, you should probably listen to Andy on this one. As a Bears fan, I'm pretty biased. I think Green Bay sucks. <laughs> I hate them and their puke green and yellow uniforms. I've been forced to look at my entire life since I was just a little guy. And, uh, oh, yeah, I have strong dislike for the Lions as well. They've just never really caused the Bear any issues because they've always sucked even worse. Yeah, well, they've caused their own fans a lot of uh, heartache as well. And that continues this week. Yeah. Bring back Wayne Fonts. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, let's dial up our White House contact, get the president on the phone. Yeah, Donald Trump, big football fan, likes to talk. And uh, we got him on the line right now. Mr. President, already this year, over a dozen players have been suspended for the use of performance-enhancing drugs. What would you say to players to improve this situation? I promise Donald J. Trump. I promise Donald J. Trump. That I will never take drugs. I will never take drugs. I don't want to say no alcohol, but take it easy on the alcohol. Right? And you know what else? No cigarettes. I guess those last two points were for Deshaun Kaiser and Jay Cutler. Well, also, do those little blue pills count as performance enhancers when Melania lets you crawl up on top of her once a month? More energy tonight. I like oh. that. Really, Mr. President, at your age, it would probably take a crane to get you up. You are principal, the and I'll, single and I'll biggest tell you. liar. You probably are worse than Jeb Bush. Mr. President, at this time, we would like to defer the next question to your former campaign manager, Paul Manafort. As we understand it, he will soon have a lot more extra time on his hands to watch the NFL. Mr. Manafort, being from New Britain, Connecticut, we will assume that you are a New England Patriots fan. We heard that Bill Belichick said this week that trading Jimmy Garoppolo to San Francisco midway through the season, essentially leaving the team with no quarterback, was a good decision. In your conversation with him, what did he think of that? that that's what he said. I, I, that's what I said. That's obviously what the, the, our position is. Very good. Even more articulate than the hoodie himself. Now it's time for a visit with our good friend, the Commish, the commissioner for my fantasy football league, for a fantasy football update. Mr. Commish, how do spreads and totals affect your decision to activate one player over another at skilled positions? That's a good question. Let's start with quarterbacks. Uh, quarterbacks typically perform better when their team has a high implied point total, especially when they're favored. Targeting quarterbacks in games where their team is expected to score a lot of points makes sense. Intuitively, more scoring opportunities means more fantasy points. Now, there is a common misconception when it comes to playing quarterbacks based on the spread, though, which is that quarterbacks on losing teams have to throw more and are therefore good fantasy targets. With quarterback, fantasy owners should seek efficiency rather than volume. Sure, quarterback might throw more when trailing, but when an offense is forced to throw and a defense can rush the quarterback relentlessly, the added pressure on the quarterback often leads to sacks, turnovers, not fantasy points. Uh, instead, those quarterbacks on high-scoring winning teams often put up huge fantasy numbers well before garbage time and don't need late-game scoring to make or break the week. Now, when you're looking at running backs, uh, running back scoring is predicated on volume, and there are a few, if any, factors that predicts a team's rushing volume as well as a point spread. When at home, running backs have proven to be especially consistent fantasy assets, no matter the scoring system. The one archetype that doesn't fit into this mold is the pass-catching specialist, but even those running backs offer very little value if their team is an underdog. How much of a premium do you place on running backs that typically get five-plus pass receptions per game. Well, I guess we're talking about it. If a pass-catching back sees the majority of his snaps 
when his team is trailing, he might not get enough volume to make him a viable cash grab play. And the losing team is rarely going to offer the running back enough scoring upside for consideration in tournaments. Except for a few in-game script immune running backs like Le'Veon Bell and the injured David Johnson, the point spread should be one of the first things to take into consideration when rostering a running back. A slightly more esoteric question. Do you think that the proliferation and popularity of fantasy football have made fans less tribal in terms of their allegiance to supporting individual teams as opposed to specific players? Also, do you think that this trend is good for the future of the NFL? Absolutely. I think as a lifelong 49ers fan, I have found more to cheer about overall in the league, aside from the abysmalness of the 49ers. It really allows you to connect with players and positioning, and uh, it really gives everybody a reason to be more involved in the NFL overall, uh, in stats keeping, in knowing who the players are on opposing teams, in knowing who's good, who's doing what every week. I think it is a great thing for the NFL and the future of the fan base. Now we're going to get Andy to reach into his bag of goodies and give us a couple nuggets of info in a little segment we call the Prognosticator's Potpourri. Well, we talked about it before, and now we're going to get a little more in-depth into it. Mathematically, this past week was a rather odd week. As we know, most games are typically decided by either three or seven points. This past week, of the six games decided by one score or less, only one of them fell of those key numbers. The other five had differentials of one, two of them had fives, and two of them had eights with the Saints and the Patriots. Well, why do you think that is? I think it has to do with a few things. First off, having the extra point kick move back 13 yards to the 15-yard line certainly affects this. Also, with the overtime rules the way they are now, with both teams likely having a possession, means that a a 5.5-point spread now becomes quite significant. You also have teams like the Steelers, who game plan around going for the two-point conversion early in the game, even when they aren't even doing so out of necessity. In a sample size of 2,670 games between 2003 and 2015, more games were decided by three points than anything else. No surprise. 18.7% was the number. A distant second was seven points at 11.5%. So almost one in three games were decided by these two margins. Conversely, five and eight point differentials, which we saw four times last week, accounted for only 7.7% of games within that 12-year time frame that I mentioned earlier. There was a time not so long ago that any spread over four and under six was considered no man's land. But those have now become quasi-key numbers, and people have to pay attention to subtle line movements in that range. And that's my point. He's one of those idiots who believe in analytics. Get those nerds! Thank you to all our fans for listening to episode 9 of Almost Wise Guys. If you like what you heard, make sure you hit the subscribe button on iTunes so you don't miss a show. You can also hit us up on our Facebook fan page for additional content and picks from all week 9 games across the NFL. Thanks again to President Trump for his insights and also the commission for his fantasy advice. From the Cosa Nostra Studios, for Andy the Prognosticator, Attridge, back at Almost Wise Guys Central, and even the contender, I'm Matty Buller. Get out and pick yourself a winner. Tune in next week at the same bet time on the same bet channel. Sayonara. <laughs>